This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we are talking about Joshua Speed, Abraham Lincoln's best friend. Now, now, now. Not five, not four, not two, just three. The Rail Splitter, axe in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. In excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this week are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Rail Splitter heads out there listening to us on electronic stuff? <laughs> so, uh, we are back this week with an episode about Joshua Speed an often overlooked and underappreciated figure in Lincoln's life, and we've got all kinds of great content about him, as well as, for the first time in the history of the show, some listener-supplied content, which we are super, super grateful for, excited about, enthused by, inspired by, so we're very, very, very into the fact that we got some help from uh, a listener in Rail Splitter Nation. So we will uh, get to that about probably half way or so through the show. Um, First, we do like to start our shows with talking about Abraham Lincoln news, and if anything has come up in the news regarding Abraham Lincoln, and I think many of you are probably familiar with uh, the current president's comments that involved Abraham Lincoln, Uh, and I don't want to dwell too much on them, but uh, our current president um, tweeted, I believe, yesterday or the day before, uh, something about his approval rating being the best in the history of the Republican Party, better even than Abraham Lincoln. And then I think he said something along the lines of, I even beat old Honest Abe. Um, so I go on and on about the differences between these two people, but um, I think we can just point out, one, that Abraham Lincoln's era did not feature um, approval ratings and approval polls. Um, clearly that was not something that was done by journalists at that time. It's pretty standard common knowledge of any elementary student of history to know that that's probably not something that spans the entire history of the party. Uh, but also I think Abraham Lincoln would have appreciated that, um, leadership is not about keeping score. Uh, leadership is not about, uh, it's not, it's not a reality TV show. The highest ratings do not equal, the best leadership, Um, and I would argue that Abraham Lincoln's approval rating was probably at its lowest right around the time he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, right around the time the 13th Amendment passed. Um, Certainly was also low when he had some setbacks in the Civil War, but Abraham Lincoln did not make decisions to boost an approval rating. He did what was right, and that is something that's fundamentally different in what I see in these two people. So let's say that his approval rating, the current president's approval rating is higher in his own party than Abraham Lincoln's. That doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot of anything, especially if you're looking at leadership as opposed to popularity. Um, I, I'm, I suspect that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's about zero categories that this president would beat old honest Abe at. So anyway, I could go on all day about this. We could have an entire episode about it, but I'll just leave it at that. No, I agree. I mean, yeah. Nope, I no, agree. if you look at, sorry, if you look at favorability ratings, you know, um, and approval ratings, like if we would have done this for Dr. King, 
who we consider one of the greatest American heroes in the middle of his heyday, his were extremely, extremely low. Um, so, and then now, obviously, that's met with like universal approval. Harry Truman's another one who comes into mind by the time he left office, they were extremely low. And he's considered, if you look at most lists, he ends up being a lot of times at the top, definitely the top half, if not top 10. So, I mean, the only thing where this stuff matters is in the podcast world. So, with that said, make sure you go to iTunes, rate us very favorably. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do that. And don't forget to vote for your favorite rail splitter, rail splitter Nick. Um, so, in the podcast world, all this stuff does matter. Um, and I believe I'm the highest rated rail splitter of all time. You can check the polls, you can look at it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yes, please give us a rating. Uh, we try to read all of our ratings online. We haven't had a rating. I checked today. Uh, we haven't had one in a few months, so it would be nice uh, to get, get some constructive feedback for sure because we would appreciate that. Um, and we do appreciate each and every one of our listens. So far, we have had 13,364 listens of our show, and we appreciate each and every one of those. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, today's topic We've got so much for you uh, today talking about Joshua's speed. And once again, I feel like I mention this every week, but I do need to mention it one more time. My fellow fellow rail splitters did all the heavy lifting once again this week uh, as far as research goes. So thank th I thank the two of you for that. Um, normally we talk about social media posts uh, at the end of the show that we found cool, but I do want to point out that um, there was a very cool post, and I hope I'm not taking one that you, either one of you selected as your favorite one of the week. Uh, but we were tagged in a uh, Twitter post about it being, I believe it was Best Friends Day or International Friendship Day. Um, so it was a very, very kind tweet um, from one of our followers, Kathleen, who said, thank you for being a friend. Uh, which I thought was just so kind with hashtag International Friendship Day. So thank you for that. Um, uh tweet and for tagging us in that that was very kind of you but it also fits with our theme for this week uh, international friendship day looks like it was two days ago um, but nonetheless we are talking about abraham lincoln's who was commonly accepted or commonly thought of as his best friend um, aside from obviously his his family maybe perhaps mary lincoln was truly his best friend but um, joshua speed um, who is like i said at the top of the show often overlooked and often underappreciated but the Rail Splitters will bring you some information about Joshua Speed. So I will turn it over to our content area experts, our researchers in charge uh, in the Rail Splitter Incorporated. Uh, Mary and Nick, talk to us about Joshua Speed. Well, yeah, I guess uh, Joshua Speed. Um, like you said, I mean, basically from April 1837 to January 1841, I mean, these guys spent like, just about every moment of their life together. Um, you know, they ended up li uh, basically living in the same room, sharing the same bed, uh, which was common at that time. And basically, I mean, they knew each other inside and out, you know, to the point where they could probably communicate non-verbally. Uh, and I found a quote from Speed that kind of puts it in context, uh, kind of just what he saw from Lincoln. For me, so the quote starts, for me to have seen him rise from this humble position step by step till he reached the presidency, holding the reins of government 
in as trying times as any government ever had, accomplishing more during the four years of his administration than any man had ever done, keeping the peace with all four nations under most trying circumstances, putting down the most gigantic rebellion ever known, assassinated at 56 years of age, born to this final resting place in Illinois, amid the tears of the nation of the civilized world, and even his former foes in arms, acknowledging they had lost their best friend, seems more like a fable than fact. You know, Speed literally saw the evolution of Lincoln as a, a politician going from, you know, this stage of this awkward, you, you know, your 20s into true um, adulthood and becoming the person that he will be when he passes away. And Speed, outside of Mary and his family, is the person who's there along that journey probably more than anybody um, throughout this. So I, I just think that's important to understand. And um, so I'll just kind of, I don't know, Mary, if you want to jump in. I was going to say, I was um, reading the book you did, Nick, uh, Your Friend Forever, A Lincoln by Charles, I'm going to butcher his last name, Charles B. Stro Strozier. Stro Stro <laughs> can't say his last name. Um, I've been reading it and I'm about halfway through it now. Um, but the part where you know, they meet on Erie date, April 15th, 1837. And Speed says to Lincoln, Lincoln wants to buy some, I think, bang from him. And he, Lincoln has no money. And Speed says, I have a very large room and a very large double bed in it, which you're perfectly welcome to share with me if you choose. And then Lincoln's response is to ask where the room is. And he goes upstairs where he puts his belongings and he comes back and he says to Speed, well, Speed, I moved. And every time I read that, I picture that scene. I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with it from Casablanca, where um, they're walking off at the end of the movie. And um, I think it's Humphrey Bogart says, I do believe this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And that's kind of how I see um, is that that's where it all began. And it was an amazing friendship where, unfortunately, speed kind of falls into the background of it because he wasn't as, I think, outspoken as Lincoln was. We don't have as much of what he he wrote, but that did not mean that he is not an important figure in Lincoln's life. And um, I, I think he deserves to be studied more, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you too. So um, for those of you who don't know, Andrea will get to this in her interview, but uh, Speed does come from Kentucky. So he's actually born, I think, Farmington, Kentucky. I think he was mm -hmm. born there. Yeah. Uh, and so, which is a, another thing is his family, basically Kentucky at the time, was a slave-owning state. And his family does own slaves, and he himself will own slaves, actually all the way through the Civil War until the 13th Amendment. Um, so... That's kind of a unique characteristic that the uh, vampire hunter kind of glosses over. Um, so, and then, so Speed was actually, uh, he did favor pro slavery, but I think we'll get into that more. Uh, he was pro slavery. We'll get into more of that later. Uh, he was like one of 10 kids, so it was a large family. Um, just like Lincoln, he was a lot closer. Well, obviously, Lincoln's mom passes away, but he will become closer to his stepmom. Uh, Speed is also shares that in common, where he was a lot closer to his mother than his father. Um, so, for whatever reason, that father-son relationship kind of was a, a wedge into it. I don't know if history quite knows why that is. Um, so, I, I think there's commonality there between uh, him and Lincoln as well. 
And then eventually he'll go, he will go to school, but he'll get sick. And eventually he doesn't finish college. He goes to St. Joseph's college out there. Um, and after that, he goes to Louisville for about two or three years. He works uh, basically a wholesale store, um, one of the bigger ones in the area. And a the common theme throughout uh, Speed's life is he's a very good businessman. Um, and to the point where it'll actually help Louisville grow to the city that it is now. Uh, but eventually he'll go to Springfield where he'll live for seven years. So he gets there before Lincoln, uh, but they, the majority of his time in Springfield is spent with Lincoln himself. Um, and then Mary, I know, alluded to the first meeting that they had where they met at the store um, and basically gets moved in. Um, what else you want to add at this point, Mary? Um, well, that store actually became the center for intellectual discussion in Springfield. And uh, Herndon, there's a really good quote from him, um, who's Lincoln's law partner. The store had a large fireplace in the rear, and around it, the lights of the town collected every evening. As the sparks flew from the crackling logs, another and more brilliant fire flashed when those great minds came into collision. And it was Lincoln who was at the center of this group. Um, and Speed was right there by his side. So Speed would have heard all these discussions that went on, but Speed you know, kind of, I think, sat back and took it all in. That's the impression I got from what I read about it. And um, the quote from Strozier's book, uh, Speed's admiration of his friend was such that he welcomed the modest, even subservient role of host, those who gathered to talk with each other, but most of all to be part of the circle around Lincoln. And Speed himself claimed never to speak at these gatherings or did Herndon. And perhaps this is like, I was thinking this is why Speed is a bit more of a mysterious figure to us. Like here's Lincoln's best friend, but we really don't know as much about him. And maybe it's because he was just a little bit more on the quiet side and sitting back and taking everything. But it was at this, you know, little general store where these men would gather and it was because of Lincoln and they would go there and they would have these discussions, you know, usually probably around politics. Yeah, it's just an awesome visual. Like they're just like chilling, like behind the store, like the fire's going, just shooting the shit. And then, you know, it's just like I don't know. I just think that's cool visual to have there, you know, and Lincoln's probably got everybody cracking up. Uh and then another person who actually was at some of these shindigs was uh Stephen Douglas too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of started thinking about like college. Like Stephen Douglas is, is like that guy you go to like a party and it's like, God damn, the douche is here again. Why? <laughs> Damn it, Stephen. So, like, even like him and Lincoln, it was saying in the book, um, because I was read it too, um, like, they would sometimes squabble at that camp. But that's like almost where it started for Lincoln and Douglas. And Speed was actually friends with Douglas as well. Um, well, I don't know how close to friend, but acquaintances. Um, so, to me, that, that's just kind of crazy. Yeah, so. I think that that's like, I think sometimes pe- people might. Um, falsely believe that like oh yeah there were, you know it was a smaller country fewer people like for them to run in the same circles uh would make sense but like they're essentially i mean douglas is a little bit more on the rise but they're essentially just two random dudes you know like lincoln was essentially not a not a i don't want to say nobody's a nobody but i mean he was essentially a political nobody he was you know just kind of a shopkeeper um so the fact that that essentially two two people who end up becoming the two major uh, nominees for the two major parties, um, like just happened to chat before they were anybody is, is pretty fascinating. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's happened other times in history when like they've met at Harvard law school or something like that, you know, but like for them just to 
kind of both be contemporaries of each other on the streets of Springfield is pretty pretty fascinating. Especially yeah, from, I agree. From, from the from the frontier too. No, yeah, I mean I agree. That's just crazy. Um, that, that got me thinking too. Speed did know of Lincoln before he kind of ran into him because Lincoln was starting to make a name for himself in politics. And one quote here I found that that was awesome uh, that comes from Speed. They boasted that he could out-wrestle any man in the country and that he could beat any lawyer in Springfield speaking. I mean, to me, this just has wrestler written all over it, man. Not only could he go in the ring, but he could go on the mic. So, once again, it's proven my point that Lincoln would have been a WWE superstar on the level of The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, and John Cena. And to take this a step further, Joshua Speed, being the businessman that he is, would have been a damn phenomenal wrestling promoter to the scale of Vince McMahon himself uh, running that stuff. So, uh Let's make sure I got my wrestling in for everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think he would have made such a great promoter because he knew Lincoln so well. Um, and just, you know, the one quote, his mind was not quick, but solid and retentive. It was like polished steel, a mark once made upon it never eased. So he, you know, he's his best friend. He knows him, like you said, Nick, inside and out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to me, kind of the most remarkable year of their friendship is kind of that winter of 40 going into 41, um, which we've talked about on the show. Um, you know, that's kind of the – that's right around when he broke it off with Mary Lincoln mm-hmm. the first time around. Um, and it's something I didn't know that I found interesting researching for this. Lincoln was kind of – he had like a letter written. And he was trying to get speed to go over there and give it to Mary Lincoln or Mary Todd at this point, to break it off. And Speed's like, hell no, dude. I mean, you got to go do it yourself. So it was kind of Speed that got him to go do it in person. So, um, And then we know that he goes through, obviously, this, um, I don't know how to phrase it, I guess, but he depression hits him hard. Um, you know, I, I think a lot's going on in his life at that time. Obviously, you had the Mary Todd situation, relationship kind of fizzling out. You have politically things aren't good in Illinois. A lot of the Whig stuff that they stood for, the internal improvements, helped lead Illinois being a financial crisis. You know, and around this time, Speed lets Lincoln know that he's leaving. He's going back to Kentucky. And, you know, so now in a span here of about, I don't know, six months, he's losing probably the two closest people in his life or will be. Um, So I, I think that hits him hard. And it's really Speed who has to be there for him. Um, you know, in the quote, in the winter of 41, a gloom came over him till his friends were learned for his life. And, you know, it's really speed that kind of helped him get through that, too, I think, in a way. He's one of the few people that Lincoln allowed him to allow uh, to come see him. Um, so I found that fascinating as well. Yeah, I find that part um, incredibly interesting. And, yeah, I, I do think that speed leaving played a huge role in the depressive episode that that Lincoln went through, you know, it's not just this breakup with Mary, but it's also the fact that he's losing this person who he's had this friendship with um, for a few years now. And to lose that, you know, that confidant, that person that you can probably, you're always going to and being like, well, this happened and kind of offloading stuff onto them. That was, it, it was probably quite, 
I don't know if traumatizing is the right word, but just it, it threw him for a loop and it probably didn't help that it was winter either. And, you know, darker and colder, uh, he's losing Mary and just, um, the financial crisis that's happening in Illinois too. Like you said, probably just all one after the other came just down upon him. Yeah. And I think people don't realize how close, I mean, you're talking about somebody who like they lived in like the same room and like literally shared the same bed, you know, just, um, you know, you go camping with somebody, just a casual conversation you have before you close your eyes, you know, um, they're doing that every night. Um, so the intimate relationship that they had to have is probably hard for us in 2018 really to understand outside of our significant others. I mean, that's what they had to have. Um, and, you know, to be that close and to be able to share your innermost thoughts, you know, that's got to be so hard to lose that. And I think it's really hard for us in 2018 to stand that um, in the context of their friendship as opposed to, you know, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you guys get what I'm saying there? Yeah, well, well Stro- Strozier does a great job in the book of outlining that part of it, that male friendships were very different in at this time in the 19th century. Um, especially in Springfield, the ratio of men to women was such that a lot of men weren't married. And so males form these bonds and friendships that um, it's, it's different today. It's not what it was. And they were each other's confidants. They were you know, you told your most intimate thoughts to kind of thing and you went to them when you needed something. It, it's very different than than it is now. And even, you know, he gives examples of letters that were written between certain males um, that it's, it's very different from today. And I was really happy to see the way he outlined that as saying, like, we can't judge their friendship by today it was very different times back then and that's just how it was you know before you settled down into married life you generally you know would have a male that you lived with and shared a bed with that's just the way it was yeah the closest thing i could think about it in 2018 is military life yes the people who go out into a combat zone and to be that close and intimate you know i hear this a lot in our interviews that we've done you know for vietnam veterans um, especially, you know, they're over there a year a lot of times with this group of people. And even now, a lot of veterans come back, they miss that. It's because of that intimate relationship that they had. In a lot of cases, they're closer, um, you know, with their brothers or sisters in arms than they are with the spouse that they come home to. Um, and, and that's difficult. And that's like the closest way. And they kind of talk about that in the book. But that, I think that's the closest that we have in 2018. Yeah, it's the camaraderie ship. And you see it even, too, in the Civil War with, um, you know, one of the reasons that uh, Sherman goes back in the Army is he missed that camaraderie ship. He couldn't settle into a non-military life. He he liked to be amongst the soldiers and have that kind of not necessarily regimented lifestyle, but being in the military and then not being in the military kind of threw him for a loop. And he went back in because he realized I missed this. So I think even back then it was happening too. Yeah, no, I agree. So, but uh, Speed does end up leaving. He goes back to Farmington. And then this is kind of where Lincoln Speed pick up kind of what I kind of refer as their pen pal years. (laughs) Um, 
and kind of where they're right back and forth. And then Lincoln does make a visit out to Farmington shortly after um, to where he goes out there um, and he hangs out uh, speed. He's still going through depression at this. This is also where he be- basically kind of becomes closer to Josh's brother, James Speed. Um, and that's only significant because, or it is significant because, he'll become Lincoln's attorney general um, in 1864. Uh, I, another thing I find fascinating, I mean, he's going to basically a plantation um, at this point, And he does see slavery firsthand. You know, there's a very famous where he sees the slaves on the boat when he gets there to. Um, and he writes Speed years later, or Speed recounts years later that, um, you know, the sight was continually torment to me. Um, talking about that episode, which kind of shows the evolution of his stance on slavery as a politician. Um, and then the family kind of welcomes him with open arms. So, you know, to the point where the mom gives him a Bible, hoping that will help him get out of this, uh, you know, this depression he's currently in. They'll have a correspondence with Josh's sister when he's heading back. Um, and then a pen pal year, especially there that first year or two, they're coaching each other through marriage. Um you know, they're going through it. You had Speed's very reluctant, doesn't know if he wants to go through it. He's kind of going through a, um, a stage of depression. And Lincoln's basically encouraging him. Hey, you're making the right decision. You're doing this. And then Speed gets married. And then Lincoln's right there, you know, the whole wedding night. Um, he's eager to know how it all went. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to say that politely. There's some good passages you can definitely take out of context. I think there's I think there's also a letter at that time where uh, Lincoln doesn't outright say it, but he alludes to Mary being pregnant, and he says something like, "My life is gonna like you know basically alludes to his life is gonna change." I don't have the letter in front of me, so I don't know the exact. I'm just paraphrasing, but you know they, I think they, they kind of became accustomed to this was how their friendship had to be. They were never going to be able to go back to that, you know the sharing the bed and having that kind of, you know, each other's confidants, they were never going to be able to go back to that, but they adapted to this new type of friendship where they've got a, like, you know, they're exchanging letters, they're talking about life and they're helping each other through. So I think they have pretty much what they had before. It's just, they're not sharing a bed together and seeing each other every day. Yeah. And I think, I, I, I don't know. I think of like the friendships I had when I was, I, I mean, you and me, Jeremy kind of went through this together, you know, you're not married. You're just like going out partying and then marriage comes along and you're like, Oh, you can't just do that all the time now. Um, and then, then divorce comes for some of us, but you know, that's just me. But anyways, um, <laughs> did you, did you want to write a write a few letters about that back and forth and talk about we, that? We a bit. Pen pal. Yeah, that great. Can we yeah. start the real splitter pen pal club where we all write each other letters? But I mean, I, you know, I, I really was enjoying your guys' conversation about uh, the differences between relationships then and relationships now. And, um, you know, I think our friendships throughout history, throughout time, are great windows into who people are. You know, there's that quote that's always thrown around schools. I remember it being like in the announcements all the time at my high school, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. You know, this idea that who you choose to, you know, we kind of use it as a cliche in, in the education business to get kids to like, you know, do student council or whatever, some other, you know, extracurricular. But I mean, I do think that there's some value to that. And, you know, um, 
even even the most famous people, like their friends don't think they're that big of a deal, you know, and like you, and I think that, that that's why speed is so fascinating because his view into Lincoln is is it's just going to be more clear because he's not looking at him through like rose-colored glasses, you know. I mean, he's you know he's he's going to see him for who he is, and I think you see that with a lot of figures um, where like their friends can really tell you, you know, that's really who that person is or that's not. Um, so I think this conversation is fascinating. And I think the, um, how speed has been overlooked a little bit is plays into the myth. And not that speed ever said he really was very positive, always positive about Lincoln, but I think any efforts to really humanize Lincoln sometimes get lost because we're so busy trying to build the myth and build the, build this, this character that we've come to know him as, know him as, um, you know, the whole honest Abe moniker and all that stuff, which wasn't even a thing, you know, it's all this kind of how we've created him afterwards. So I, I really like looking at what Speed had to say because I think it's just so much more true. Um, other than Herndon, who I think may have fallen into a little bit of the myth-making um, too, but I think Herndon also had a, probably a pretty good glimpse into Lincoln because he, he knew him pretty pretty well in the Springfield years too. So. So at this point in the show, I think uh, we're going to go ahead and play for you the listener-submitted uh, content that Andrea was kind enough to supply for us. So just to set the stage a little bit, uh, she went. Uh, she's from Kentucky, and she went to Farmington, Kentucky, to the, the Joshua Speed House and talked to some staff members there. I believe they introduced themselves in the piece so they can talk to you a little bit about it. Uh, this is fantastic content great stuff about speed specifically with regard to lincoln and his visit to farmington uh they talk about all kinds of stuff uh we will come back after um, we play for you uh what they recorded for us uh and we'll kind of give our take on it and talk a little bit about speed and lincoln's relationship uh their views on slavery their evolving relationships specifically around slavery and other things and then of course our thoughts on uh, what we're about to hear. So uh, once again, thank you so much, Andrea, for taking the time and for the folks that you talked to in Farmington. Um, we really feel like Real Splitter Nation's kind of branching out a little bit with this, so we're really excited to be able to share this with y'all, as I guess you could say, in Kentucky. So uh, here you go. Okay. Hey, guys, this is Andrea on behalf of the Rail Splitter Podcast coming to you at Farmington Historic Home in Louisville, Kentucky, the childhood home of Joshua Speed. I'm visiting with Kathy Nichols, the executive director. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Hi, Andrea, we're happy you're here. Good. To start, can you tell us about the house and how John and Lucy Speed came to live here? Sure. John Speed owned a salt mine in Southwest Jefferson County on the Pond Settlement in the late part of the 18th century with his first wife. His first wife, Abula Master, lived there with him and they had two daughters that survived, Mary and Eliza. Abby died probably in childbirth, and the next year, John married Lucy Fry, Lucy Gilmer Fry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had purchased a huge property in this part of Jefferson County with two business partners, Pope and Ward. And we have a letter from 1809 where John Speed writes Pope and says, we're on the property in cabins. So we know they were at Farmington by 1809. Mm -hmm. We've actually done an archeology span dig on the cabin they probably lived in when they first moved here. The house that, that we now feature as the Farmington Plantation main house started construction in 1815 and was completed in 1816. 
And that cabin they lived in probably became home to some of the enslaved people at Farmington. Oh, okay. So, 1809, the year that Abe Lincoln was born. That's right. <laughs> so, the house really resembles Monticello to me. Is there a specific reason why to some history buffs it would look like Monticello? There are lots of reasons why. <laughs> the house is a Jeffersonian-style federal, excuse me, federal Italian at Villa. Mm -hmm. And... We thought until about, uh, about 2002 that Thomas Jefferson was the architect of Farmington. But in 2002, the original building plans surfaced in a collection held by the Filson Historical Society, uh, a collection of the Bullitt family. Mm -hmm. Lucy, uh, Lucy Fry Speed is Mildred Fry Bullitt's sister. Mm -hmm. And so we think that's why they had Farmington's original building plans. One of, one of her sons was going to be an executor of John Speed's estate. But that building plan tells us it was built, it was drawn by a man named Paul Skidmore. And um, having said that, we still say it's a Jefferson style federal Palladian. It's a Jefferson style <laughs> federal Italian at Villa. Um, Lucy's grandfathers, Dr. Thomas Walker mm -hmm. and Joshua Fry, were surveying partners with Thomas Jefferson's father, Peter Jefferson. Ah. When Peter died, Dr. Thomas Walker was appointed one of the executors, one of the guardians mm -hmm. of Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson. Joshua Fry was Thomas Jefferson's tutor. Ah. In, in, in Eastern Virginia, in Charleston, Virginia, Thomas Jefferson added wings to a plantation called Farmington for Lucy's aunt and uncle, George and Martha Divers. Mm -hmm. And we're fairly certain Lucy visited there as a teenager. Those wings were octagonal, mm -hmm. as are the two main rooms at Farmington. Mm -hmm. So you have a good eye for, right. for saying that it looked like Monticello. <laughs> My mother was actually the first one to say it the first time we visited. <laughs> we walked up and she said, it looked like Monticello. It actually, to me, looks more like Poplar Forest, his other uh -huh. home, Jefferson's ah. other home. Uh -huh. And Jefferson's designs were widely available at this time, so it's very likely that Paul Skidmore took one of Jefferson's designs and adapted it to create Farmington. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, most of the listeners to this podcast are huge Abraham Lincoln fans like me. You got my Abe Lincoln socks on today. <laughs> so, Abe came and visited since he and Joshua were considered best friends in August of 1841 after his breakup with Mary Todd. Uh, was that Joshua's idea? We think it was. Mm -hmm. um, Joshua and Lincoln had become close friends in Springfield, Illinois. Mm -hmm. They shared a room together above Joshua's store, general store. And Joshua came home when his father died in 1840 mm -hmm. and was in Louisville. Um, he also says that when Lincoln and Todd broke up, Lincoln fell into a deep depression, so severe that his friends took away razors and straps and anything Lincoln could harm himself with. Mm -hmm. And we think Joshua said to Lincoln, come to Farmington. It's mm -hmm. a good place to recover. And Lincoln took him up on his offer mm -hmm. and came here in um, early August 1841. Mm -hmm. Do you think it lifted the depression to be He used to have done so. Mm -hmm. It certainly occupied his time. Mm -hmm. um, he met people in the planter class mm -hmm. and of course his, the woman with whom he'd broken up was from the planter class of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, he, it's the only time historians can place him on a slave plantation for any length of time mm -hmm. and he actually sort of participated 
in the life of the planter. Mm -hmm. Although he was not of the same social class as the Speeds. Right. He would have been certainly welcome to the home. And we have lots of fun stories. He wrote a thank you letter to Joshua's sister, Mary, mm -hmm. on his return to Springfield. And he talks about playing games and the necessity of shutting her up in a room oh. while he was at Farmington. We wish we knew what room that was. <laughs> <laughs> so when they arrived, there was a formal dinner and did Joshua kind of tell him to watch him for the table manners? <laughs> there's, there's a really fun letter where Lucy's sister, years later, Mildred Bullitt, mm -hmm. writes to one of her sons about Lincoln at Farmington. She mm -hmm. says, your Aunt Lucy tells a story of Lincoln at her table. And they were serving a leg of lamb. And um, they passed the lamb and then passed the jelly. And Mrs. Bullitt is appalled that Lincoln kept the jelly instead of passing it on. <laughs> and later Lincoln says to Speed, why didn't, why didn't you tell me what I should do? And <laughs> yeah. Speed says, I expect you to look to me, Lincoln, and see how I act when you need lessons and how to act. That's not an exact quote, but it's right. a little ditty. The other interesting thing in that letter is that, she, that Mildred Bullitt ends it saying, we hope by March 4th something happens to keep that man out of Washington City. Oh. Well, that man was the incumbent president. Uh -huh. There's only one thing that could have happened to him to keep him out of Washington City. <laughs> <laughs> so while he was here, uh, did Abe and Joshua get into spirited debates about slavery? And if they did, can you tell us about those? We don't have any primary source record to tell us that. Mm -hmm. we, we are very dedicated to primary source verification at Farmington. Right. Um, we know that slavery created spirited debate at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. However, we don't know that Lincoln and Joshua talked about slavery at Farmington. I mm -hmm. think it would have been considered rude for mm -hmm. a guest to comment on the lifestyle of his host during right. that time period. Mm -hmm. We do know that Lincoln uh, really liked Joshua's girlfriend, Fanny Penning. Mm -hmm. Girlfriend is too strong of a term, but the yeah. woman who Joshua would eventually marry Huh. And well, that's something that, I hadn't heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has wonderful comments about um, her big her big brown eyes, and, mm -hmm. and uh, he really encourages Joshua to marry Fanny. Uh -huh. But Fanny apparently had anti-slavery sentiments because Lincoln mentions that Fanny's sentiments are more like Lincoln's than they are uh, like Joshua's okay. in a later letter, not, not during the time here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was a story floating around a while back that while he was here, a slave was assigned to Abraham and that he was uncomfortable with this but tolerated it for the sake of Mrs. Speed um, and that he took the chance to talk to the slave. Is that a myth or is that story true? Yeah, uh, you, you chose the right word there. That <laughs> falls under the category of what we call docent myth in the museum industry. Mm -hmm. There's no primary source evidence to support it. Mm -hmm. um, it was the tradition in Planter South to give guests of the same social status a serving person in some plantations. Mm -hmm. Kentucky slavery differs from slavery in the Deep South, mm -hmm. and we don't know for certain that Joshua Speed had a serving man. Mm -hmm. We do know that Mary, his eldest sister, was given a slave, Diana, mm -hmm. when Diana was an infant, to train as her servant. 
Mm-hmm. But that's the extent of what we know about personal servants. And, mm-hmm. and, and by servant, I mean slave. But mm-hmm. personal slaves acting as servants to an individual at Farmington. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any primary source evidence to suggest that Lincoln had his own slave mm-hmm. or that he spoke to the slave. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, glad you bring that up. I did read the quote that he uh, left or had written years later that when they were being to like chain together to go down a steamboat that they look like fish on a trot line. That's absolutely true. That's uh-huh. in what we call the bread and butter letter to Mary, Mary Lincoln. Uh-huh. And um, it, it's a letter that made a tremendous, it's a letter that talks about a scene mm-hmm. that made a tremendous impression on Lincoln. Mm-hmm. He says, 10 or a dozen men chained together by clevises, hand in hand like so many fish upon a tri- trot line. Mm-hmm. And he makes he doesn't make a comment on it, an opinion on it in that mm-hmm. letter. He mm-hmm. just mentions the scene. Mm-hmm. But years later, he writes Joshua, and this is a paraphrase. He says, years ago, you and I were traveling back to Springfield, and we saw a scene of slaves chained together. And it's a sight that torments me every time I see a border like the Ohio. So we know that mm-hmm. made a tremendous impression on Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you tell us about how Joshua felt after, many years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation was declared? Well, I can tell you how he felt while Lincoln was writing the Ah, even better. (laughs) Joshua, Lincoln consulted with Kentuckians, including Joshua and Mm -hmm. his older brother James, Mm -hmm. during his presidency. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, as you know, several drafts of the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. And the, the first draft... We have a dog in here, you all, just in case you wonder what the sound effects are. No big deal. She's just fine. <laughs> Go ahead. My friends will know that it's small. <laughs> um, when, when Joshua and James wrote, read the first Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. Joshua was concerned that it would turn Kentucky to the Confederacy. And so we, we think that his advice and James' advice is partially the reason Lincoln issued the, the proclamation to the states in rebellion. Ah. So that the border states like Kentucky wouldn't turn away from the mm-hmm. Union. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, and can you tell us the story about the doll that's in one of the daughter's rooms oh, in yes. the house? We have a wonderful little China doll. I mentioned earlier that Diana was as an infant given to Mary Speed to be trained as her personal servant slave. Mm -hmm. And Diana later has a a child named Denny Mm -hmm. Thompson. Mary Speed gives Denny a China doll. Mm -hmm. And a wonderful contrast is another doll in that same room that was a slave child's doll. Mm -hmm. Denny, given really the the doll of a white child, Mm -hmm. has this beautiful China doll. There's another doll with beautiful clothing, but whose face is an apple core, and it mm. survives to this mm. day. Mm-hmm. So, um, in any case, Diana and Denny tried to escape slavery several times, mm-hmm. and each time they were returned to Farmington. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when Lincoln was assassinated and they were free, Diana, Denny, and the doll traveled to Indianapolis, where his body came through on the train as it lay in stake, mm-hmm. and they, they saw Lincoln's body in Indianapolis. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a full circle moment. It is. Really. <laughs> okay, you guys, if you haven't been to Farmington, which I'm assuming a lot of you haven't because you're not local, uh, when you come, 
you have to get The Reminiscences of Abraham Lincoln by Joshua Speed. This book is awesome. <laughs> and it's a small donation that'll get you the book, and it's totally worth it. But there's a story in this book about Abe Lincoln rescuing a bird's nest. Can you tell us that story? I think that's a quintessentially Lincoln moment. Mm -hmm. um, Joshua Lincoln and a couple of friends saw a bird's nest that had fallen out of the tree mm -hmm. and injured birds. And Lincoln picked up the nest and carried it with him. And when Joshua said, why did you do that? <laughs> Lincoln said, because I would always hear the cries of those birds. And it just shows his tender heart. And in the book, the next paragraph talks about, while Lincoln's president, two women who come to him to, to get their husband and another woman who wants her son returned. They mm -hmm. were both Confederate women mm -hmm. with Confederate spouse and son. Right. And, and again, in a tender moment, Lincoln returns those men to the women who want them. Mm -hmm. And it, it shows a very human side of Lincoln and a very mm -hmm. sentimental side of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And one other question I wanted to ask you, the, the monument that's on the property to the African-Americans mm -hmm. who were enslaved, when did that come about? How long has that been here? And we, who's, whose idea was that? That was uh, because of the former director, Carolyn Brooks, uh -huh. uh, Farmington opened in 1959 as, a, as Louisville's first historic house museum. Mm -hmm. Not its oldest now, but its first. <laughs> and um, as was typical of the time period, the story focused on the plantation house itself and not on the fact that it was a plantation or that any enslaved people lived here. Uh. So in the 1990s, Farmington incurred a lot of controversy mm -hmm. over its lack of slavery interpretation and over introduction to slavery interpretation. Mm -hmm. And in the late 90s, Carolyn Brooks was made director of Farmington and she immediately addressed that mm -hmm. issue. And in 2003, when I first started working at Farmington, just mm -hmm. after I did not, not because of me at all, but they, mm -hmm. they installed a medallion to the enslaved people at Farmington done mm -hmm. by a wonderful Louisville artist, William Duffy. It's a bronze medallion, it shows Farmington, it shows faces of enslaved people, including a couple whose photographs we actually have. Oh, wow. Um, and hemp rope, which mm -hmm. of course symbolizes bondage at Farmington. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's in a beautiful limestone seating area. Mm -hmm. We want people to understand the minute they walk onto Farmington grounds that this was not just the home of John and Lucy Speed and mm -hmm. their 11 surviving children, but also the home to as many as 57 enslaved African Americans. Mm -hmm. And we discovered just a couple of days ago oh, that wow. John Speed likely owned at least 13 other people on a different farm in, in Jefferson County, oh, which wow. will change our notion of John Speed's slave holding. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, it's interesting, Southern Plantation paintings always show these beautiful pastoral scenes and rarely show any people white or black on the property. Mm -hmm. But when Lincoln visited Farmington, it was a thriving center of, of agricultural industry. Mm -hmm. And probably 80 to 100 people, black and white, lived here, at least two-thirds of them black and enslaved. So it was bustling when he was here. It was bustling. Yeah. We had a rope walk. We had a hemp weaving factory. Mm -hmm. There was a hemp barn that was burned right after John Speed died, and a young slave named Bartlett was accused of burning the barn, and that caused disruption oh. throughout the entire plantation community surrounding Louisville. Right. So. It was a busy place. Yeah, <laughs> it was. So you guys, you've got to come. If you come to the kind of down the stairs, there's a bedroom where Lincoln actually slept, right? 
That's another one of those docent things. No, no. But the truth is, we have, with one exception, we have no idea where anyone slept in Farmington. Oh, no. We know where Mrs. Speed's chamber was because uh -huh. the original building plan tells us that her chamber had two doors. Uh -huh. And there's only one bed chamber with two doors. Well, I know he slept in the house. He slept in the house. <laughs> he slept wherever Joshua slept. Ah, that okay. That could have been likely he slept uh -huh. wherever Joshua slept. Right. They could have slept in the hallway in the summertime. That would have made more sense than oh, in the bedrooms. Because it was so hot? on one of the porches because of the heat. Ah, gotcha. So, okay. Yeah, that's another one of those stories <laughs> that goes up, and, and uh, we're glad you asked that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys have got to come anyway because it's wonderful. And if people want to visit, what are the hours, and when are you open, and where are you located? We're located, located at... 3033 Bardstown Road. You mm -hmm. go down a windy little path, well, mm -hmm. a very narrow path, mm -hmm. which is the original plantation path to get to Farmington. Be careful because we often have students from Solomon yeah. University crossing that path. Mm -hmm. It opens into our parking lot. We're open to the public Tuesday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Tours are on the hour. And on Saturday, we have tours at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 1 o'clock. Okay, awesome. What's your website? Website is www.farmingtonhistoricplantation.org. Okay. And we're owned by Historic Homes Foundation. Oh, nice. So, well, thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. I appreciate fun. it. It was fun. All right. Thank you, uh, Andrea and Kathy and the folks over in Farmington for uh, taking the time to record that. I thought it was outstanding. Um, so you've we've you've taken the veil off you've seen just how easy it is to record a podcast so um anybody can do it so we really appreciate it so if anybody else wants to supply us with anything by all means i thought that was so kind of andrea to offer and man great great content so thank you thank you once again so rail splitter nick rail splitter mary what'd you think of the interview from the joshua speed home in farmington kentucky go ahead mary I thought it was uh, very interesting, very well done. Uh, thank you, Andrea, for doing that for us. It's great. Um, just a few points that I liked. I, um, you know, when they're talking about the architecture of it, how um, Andrea, I think she said she thought it would look like Monticello, Monticello which is where Thomas Jefferson um, was from, and they, you know, they explain that. And then the other part I liked in the discussion is they, they don't know the exact bed where, where Lincoln, or the room where Lincoln slept, but still, you know, it was a place where he stayed. And on a whole, I found it this very fascinating, interesting interview. And I, I do want to get to visit it someday. It, it sounds like a really interesting place. And just to be another place where Lincoln was, and because after doing this episode searching about speed i have a greater respect for him as well and i would like to see where where he lived just because there is that contrast between um him and lincoln in regards to how they grew up yeah i mean definitely awesome interview so thank you andrea um she's gonna bump us out of our job here so <laughs> or our hobby i guess hey, we, we talked about it many times history is not a competitive uh, no. Event, we're we're all on the same team. We're so, all yeah, here. We're, we're all here. We're here we are. We are. History. We do say we are the Abraham Lincoln podcast because there isn't another one. So, but anyway, yeah, there's plenty of room in the podcast world, especially no, yeah. in Real Splitter Nation. No, it was awesome. So appreciate that. Um, the one aspect I always like, you know, is they acknowledge the applause too of Farmington. You know, bringing up the fact that this was a place where slavery existed and it happened. 
Um, and slavery is definitely part of the story of Joshua Speed and his family. Um, and something that I find fascinating, too, and kind of that dynamic of how him and Lincoln, um, especially during the Civil War years, kind of, you know, got along. Because Lincoln did look to Joshua Speed for a lot of help during those Civil Wars, and he'll become a very key figure in Kentucky and keeping Kentucky in the Union. Um, you know, when you look at it, they, they kind of go through a period there where they're not talking much, you know, with both getting married and Lincoln having kids. It's probably understandable why. But Speed will get a chance. He will serve one term as Kentucky legislator. And during this term, he will vote against slavery restrictions. So looking to kind of e, uh, get rid of slavery out of Kentucky. He will own slaves um, throughout the entire Civil War. And Lincoln is well aware of his stances on it. And there's a great letter around the time that uh, Kansas, Nebraska, actually, he goes after Speed pretty tough. Um, and the quote that really stood out for me from that was, you save Kansas barely votes herself a free state. As a Christian, you will rather rejoice at it. All decent slaveholders talk that way, and I do not doubt their candor, but they never vote that way. Although in a private letter of conversation, you will express your preference that Kansas shall be free, you would vote for no man for Congress who would say the same thing publicly no such man could be elected from any district in any slave state. I mean, that's Lincoln going after him pretty hard. Um, and, and to go after somebody pretty hard like that, you probably got to be pretty good friends, too, um, to be able to do that. So I think that really shows, you know, their, their friendship, their train of thought, that they just leave everything out on the table there. Um I don't know if anybody wants to chime in at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I would like to just talking about the the – the piece from Farmington, um, I thought the things, the two things uh, that I that stood out for me most. I really enjoyed hearing uh, Kathy talk. Like you could tell, she's a historian. Just the way she talked. Like I just was really uh, found myself really. I don't know if entertains the right word or kind of enthralled or just like um, just really into how she talked about history and how she answered questions differently as a historian than um than we do you know we're not we don't, we don't claim to be historians we're not historians we share what we know we're certainly enthusiasts but how she talked about um primary sources confirming or you know what what the evidence is showing for what they know about farmington i just thought that was really fascinating it really was into just how she kind of told the stories and how she answered questions um not on any sort of, you know, not really speculating, but saying like, well, what we have, what the historic record tells us is this. And it just, to me, feels so much richer that way. You know, like, I just, I really like how that, um, how, how historians talk and how she talked as a historian, um, especially when it came to, um, you know, uh, how they believed something up until I think it was like 2012 or something. And then they found more evidence and they're like, Oh, that wasn't right. It, it was actually something else. Like to me, that's fascinating. Like there's how alive history is as a discipline that there are things that, that you, that the evidence suggested for a long, long time until there's more evidence until people find more things. And that can change history changes. It's a living thing, which I, which is just what makes this whole podcast work. And I, th and I think what makes history so interesting to me. So I was really into how that whole, how she was kind of showing her expertise while not being, 
you know, while not being like super highbrow about it, you know, she was very accessible. Um, but you could still tell that she definitely knew her stuff. So that was for pretty cool. And what I learned personally from that, um, and this is part maybe just how I am as a person, I think the some of the greatest treasures that these sites have are the people who work there. And I don't engage nearly enough when I go to places. And we talked about this with national parks, but like when I go to like the old state capital in Springfield or to the Lincoln home, not as much a Lincoln home, but um, they all, people always come up and, and interact, not invasively, very, not very friendly. And I don't talk to them as much. I just kind of soak it all in. I'm much more of a introverted person in that regard. And I just kind of like to look and I need to change that, I think, because like just that conversation, listening to that is like, man, had I gone to the Farmington house, I probably was like, oh, no, thank you. I, you know, I, I like the self-guided blah, blah, blah. Um, and I probably would have missed quite a lot, you know. So I think that what I learned from that, and I hope everyone else kind of sees, too, is like it's important when you visit places like that to realize the expertise that's there and talk to folks because um, they've clearly got a lot to share. Um, and, and I want to also just reiterate Nick's point about um, how they talked about the fact that it was a plantation. Um, I, uh, I just went to the South on vacation. My family went, you know, we talked about, went to some battlefields, ended up in North Carolina. And then on the way back, we drove through South Carolina, up through Tennessee and Kentucky. And you see plantations all over the place and they're advertised as oftentimes wedding venues. Uh, you know, my, my in-laws went golfing in North Carolina. Literally every golf course I saw on the map was, something something plantation and it just makes my skin crawl that like these are the word plantation is thrown around like just so you know that this is a beautiful piece of land it's it's a plantation so you know that's what that is that's a thing um completely ignoring that they were slave labor camps and you know you, you wouldn't see that about labor camps in europe you know they're not celebrated as a wonderful place for you to unite with someone for the rest of your life in this you know celebration of love or whatever um, so I really appreciated how they talked about enslaved people, um, how they talked about, yes, it's a plantation, you know, saying what, saying the word plantation is fine. You need to call it what it is. Like, that's very important. I liked how they're not ignoring what that means. Um, so I thought that that was a very cool way that they addressed it. It sounds like they've honored the people who were there, uh, who were enslaved, um, so that was, that was very cool. And I think that, um, Nick, you bring up a great point that you can't talk about Joshua speed or Lincoln's relationship with him unless you address the slavery, um, uh, issue. Yeah. I want to second your point on, uh, just getting the, the people who work at all these historical places are awesome. And I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this actually. I also am not very good at talking to them. Uh, but like when I went to Charleston, the podcast gives me an excuse to do it now um, and, and forces me to do it. So um, and I would just encourage anybody because they are so knowledgeable. They they they're not there for the paycheck. I'll tell you that at a lot of these places, they're there for the love of history. And that's what's so awesome. You definitely heard that in the interview that we just listened to um, and something that I've experienced, too, since doing this podcast. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And I completely agree too. like the people that work there just and like you, Nick, this podcast has has given me kind of like I, I find I'm approaching people more and I'm planning on visiting the James A. Garfield home 
in on Labor Day weekend. And I'm thinking contacting them and seeing if I could, you know, like set up something with them to talk more about them, about what's there and what the home is all about. And it's just, it's made me appreciate who they are more. And as someone who once had a career in that field, like I, I can tell you that you definitely are not there for the paycheck. It's, <laughs> it's for, it's for the passion for, for the history. I used to give tours at the local jail here in town dressed up as the, the governor's wife. And I loved every minute of it because, you know, you're able to share your passion with other people. And it's, it's one of those things where um, and people who work in that field love being approached as well and asked, you know, ask questions about the collection, what goes on there and all that. Yeah. So uh, anybody who wants to, and, and I do want to also, I appreciate we have had people who have reached out saying like, I'd love to be on the show. Um, we, and we, every single person who's reached out to say that we plan to have on the show. Um, we've got people from different museums throughout. We've got people from different regions of the country. Uh, we're just trying to provide balanced content, you know, so we're not having guests all the time and then, then avoid of guests, you know, um, because once, you know, speaking of uh, things you don't do for the money, podcasting is one of those as well. So, uh, but we're doing our best to, to create, um, a solid product as we can. Uh, we are coming up on our hour here, so we're trying to keep, uh, you know, keep your, your podcast feed as uh, close to an hour as we can. Is there anything about Joshua speed that Nikki or Nick, Nick or Mary uh, that you wanted to, uh, to add before we transition to our weekly features? Uh, yeah. I mean, real quick, despite him and Lincoln, not seeing eye on the slavery issue, he did stay committed to the union. Um, and he did help Kentucky stay in the union. I mean, to the point where, they actually sent weapons, and they were trying to get them to pro-Northern people in Kentucky, and he actually helped distribute those federal weapons or found a way for those to. He held meetings for the Unionists there. He helped with financing. Um, he actually helped General Sherman get some money for his troops as well. Um, so thought I'd just mention that. But he was also resistant to, you know, Fremont kind of says he's going to free the slaves of the people um, out there in Missouri, I believe it is. And then Emancipation Proclamation was strongly against. So I found it very interesting, and I would encourage our listeners to really look into kind of Speed and Lincoln's dynamic during the Civil War um, and kind of how that evolved over time as well. Nick, you covered it all. I was, um, you know, just the thing about Sherman was what I found very cool that and Sherman was quite surprised that a private citizen could get that money for him after the Secretary of War, who was Simon Cameron at the time, refused. And uh, Speed just responded that Sherman's only mistake was not asking for more money. Yeah. That also made me chuckle. Yeah. All right. Um, so once again, thank you both for doing the heavy lifting. Uh, once again, thank you to Andrea for, um, and the folks over in Farmington for um, recording that. Expect a visit from the rail splitters at some point in time. Uh, I was in Louisville not long ago, but I was with a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and we were definitely budgeting our time as far as uh, what we could get away with as far as historic visitations and all that kind of stuff. So we will make it down there for sure. Um, it is a beautiful part of the country, and um, we really appreciate those tiny historic gems that 
that are sprinkled throughout our country and the people who work there, of course, as well. So thank you again for supplying that. This is the time in the show where we transition to our Of the People by the People, where we showcase our favorite social media posts of the week. So, Mary or Nick, would you like to start us off? I could go. Um, I know I have a quote on certain stuff, but I don't think I brought this up. E, me and that mistake from Buffalo are at it again. <laughs> There was the Donald Trump, obviously we alluded to at the beginning, where uh, he said he had the highest poll numbers. There was a fact check thing I follow on Twitter, and it, his quote was like, wow, highest poll numbers. And I said, wow, dumbest president in history. That includes the mistake for Buffalo, Miller <laughs> Fillmore. And then, of course, Miller Fillmore had to respond. You mean the Miller Fillmore who founded the University of Buffalo? What makes you think I'm dumb because you don't know anything about me? So that made me mad. So I responded, I know that you signed one of the worst laws in American history, that you blamed the foreign Catholics for governor for your governor loss, and that you didn't properly mourn Lincoln. Always remember, you are the know-nothing. Dang, so, mic drop. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> I just want to say that I think that Fillmore has just become the Voldemort of the Railsporter <laughs> podcast with the, like, the mistake from Buffalo is like the he who must not be named. <laughs> So I think from now on, Fillmore just needs to be called the mistake from Buffalo. Um, so that was over a day ago, and he has tweeted since, but he has not responded to me. So <laughs> I think Fillmore. we can call that a victory in Twitter in, in the Twitter sphere. Yeah. That's a victory. You win, Nick. So uh, yeah, that's my. Uh, just yeah, since mine kind of mine kind of aligns with that, I'm gonna go ahead and go next. Uh, uh, Andrea, who was kind enough, uh, who, who you've heard, whose voice you've heard on this episode, tweeted on our or tweeted. She tweeted on our Facebook, is what I almost said. I sound like a dad. Uh, she posted on our Facebook uh, group, which, by the way, if you haven't joined, you should join our Facebook group. It's tons of fun. Uh, she posted. So I'm reading Lincoln, uh, Lincoln's portrait of a marriage. Sorry, I'm reading Lincoln's portrait of a marriage, uh, and the writer, whose name is Epstein, uh, states that Mary Lincoln thought a lot of Fillmore. Uh, what? <laughs> so she wrote a letter to Emily Helm, who was her sister, uh, stating that she thought Fillmore was a great president, and she did not like that Abraham Lincoln supported Fremont. Uh, so Andrea, once again, I appreciate you for sharing that on the face group, Facebook group, uh, along with the little meme that says, shut up, no way. Uh, awesome. So Mary Lincoln might have liked the Fillmore a little bit, uh, at least, uh, at least during his presidency, so... I don't know, Nick. You're going to have to come to terms with that. I am no longer. I was signing with uh, Dr. McDermott a lot on this Mary world and how people hate Mary, but I'm going to have to join them now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so mine comes from the James A. Garfield National Historic Site, which is located in Mentor, Ohio. And I would encourage all our listeners to like their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter because their social media account is excellent. Um, they tweet not just facts about Garfield, but just about the Civil War in general. And they are very engaging. They do social media very, very well. Um, and they tweeted on July 28th, or not tweeted, it was on Facebook, um, that it was 152 years ago today 
that the U.S. Congress commissioned sculptor Vinnie Ream to create a statue of President Abraham Lincoln for the U.S. Capitol building. She was just 18 years old when she did this. Vinnie Ream is one of my heroes. Uh, she's a remarkable female, beautiful sculptor, very talented. Um, and the beautiful white marble statue of Lincoln was unveiled in the Capitol Rotunda on January 25th, 1871, when she was 23 years old. Uh, I have yet to see that statue. It's on my bucket list. Um, she later did a statue of Admiral David G. Farragut, and the monument to Farragut was dedicated in 1881, which President James A. Garfield was the speaker of. So that was that's my of the people this week all right and uh so thank you to the garfield national uh, historic site or national is it the national Historic park i'm not sure yep. but uh, yeah, thank you to those folks um i do want to mention not to be uh braggadocious or anything but um i spent the weekend in ann arbor michigan and realized how close that was to the henry ford uh so i was able to go back to the henry ford for a second time with this time with my family so um a very 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 important place to check out so i was very very thrilled to be able to take my children to the rosa parks bus um and then also of course to see uh the chair abraham lincoln was in uh at ford's theater as well among all the other cool things and it was also kind of fun to uh they do those wax mold things at that museum it was kind of fun because i remember doing those when i was a kid so the kids got to pick out one of those um so I thought that was kind of fun as well. Um, anyway, uh, our This Week in Lincoln this week is a t-shirt, and we we talked about this offline. Um, we started the show, and we hadn't actually, um, or at least I hadn't, and I don't think Nick had really known who Dr. Stacy McDermott was, Dr. Stacy Pratt McDermott. Um, we didn't know her uh, or her Twitter account, but we kind of got exposed to it really quickly. Uh, but we had already come up with the This Week in Lincoln as a concept and then realized that she has Lincoln Lunacy on her Twitter feed and hers are, like, dominating. They're awesome. Uh, so she actually has kind of done a lot of the legwork on a lot of what we call This Week in Lincoln by her calling it Lincoln Lunacy. So shout out to Dr. Stacy for, you know, having an endless supply, not endless, but having a pretty good supply of uh, things for us to check out. So we found this one on her feed. And it is amazing. Uh, so we don't always want to steal from her, but it is so tempting. But she found a T-shirt uh, that qualified for her Lincoln lunacy that we'll use for our This Week in Lincoln this week. Of Abraham Lincoln uh, dressed or kind of a mashup between Abraham Lincoln and uh, Arthur Fonzarelli, also known as the Fonz from Happy Days, uh, wearing the leather jacket with the thumbs up saying, Abe, which is kind of his trademark, A. So like... Super funny, uh, awesome mashup. Um, so yeah, uh, the Fonz Abraham Lincoln mashup T-shirt is our this week in Lincoln this week. Uh, good old Henry Winkler coming through for us. Um, so yeah, there it is. That's our this week in Lincoln. So hope you learned a lot about Lincoln's best friend Joshua Speed this week. Uh, you definitely found out about a new place to visit if you're in the. Uh, I guess it would be the Western Kentucky area. You can check out the Joshua Speed home in Farmington, Kentucky, along with the greater Louisville area. Um, and other than that, Mary, Nick, any parting thoughts? Um, I just want to say a huge thank you to Nick for typing out all the show notes. Very awesome. Thank you. And to Andrea as well uh, for the content that you gave us for the show and was the inspiration for the show. So th thank you so much for that. Yes, thank you to Andrea and the people at Farmington. You all rock. 
That's right. You all rock. So thank you again for listening, everyone, and continue to walk the world with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we will see you next week.